0: Well, the past few weeks we've been doing a study out of the book of uh, First Peter on uh, Sunday mornings, called "Different." Week one we talked about having different faith. Uh, week two we talked about having different values. Well, today we're going to be talking about different character, and not just different characters in the Bible, which we will kind of dive into that. But we're also going to talk about having different character ourselves and what our character needs to display. And how many of you have ever heard the saying, uh, a first impression lasts forever? Yeah? Well, guess what? God redeems first impressions because most of my first impressions are terrible. (laughs) So thank the Lord that He redeems those and gives us an opportunity to share godly character with people. But this morning, I just want to talk about that character. And I want to share with you the character or character traits of a specific Bible personality or personalities that somewhat operated under the radar, kind of behind the scenes, if you will, um, but had an incredible impact on two of the most influential evangelist church planting preachers in the New Testament. And so I'm not going to tell you who that is just yet because I want you to wonder. Uh, So keep wondering, not wander, wonder. It's different. Uh, Those uh, two great men were Peter and Paul. And they have this common, uh, I won't say sidekick, but partner in ministry. uh, That according to most scholars, uh, was this same guy. And you kind of have to dig to find it. And it was funny when I came across it, I was really shocked and I thought I was wrong. So I started using Google because that's um, a biblical concordance. Um, And so I started digging and trying really hard to see if I was right, Uh, so then I called a friend of mine, Pastor Don Logan, who pastored many years in Shreveport, there is a port at the end of that, I'm getting the dry mouth, I don't know where this water came from, but it was already open, so I'm assuming that Pastor Chris drank out of it too, that's okay. Okay. But um, So I called him and I asked him and he said, well, Brother John, I'm not really sure. So he pulled out his uh, Unger Concordance and several other biblical commentaries and we dug. And he went, well, I'm 92 years old and I've never seen that before. Thank you. And so it gave me the feeling that I could share this with you. But I do want to give you a disclaimer, not all scholars agree a very small majority—not majority—small minority uh, have a feeling that maybe it wasn't, but the majority of scholars, including my dear friend Pastor Don Logan, are say that this is extremely probable. So we're going to take a little conjecture, but we're going to dig in and see how neat this relationship is and was, and, and how cool it was. Um, but before we discover who that partner is, we're going to read a, co- a little bit of scripture. First Peter one six. In the New Living Translation says, So be truly glad. This, I'm sorry. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure. Everybody say endure. Endure. That's really hard to say. Endure many trials for a little while. Now what's really cool about that is Peter said that. He wrote that. First 1 Peter 1, 1.6. We actually saw that a couple of weeks ago. But in Philippians 4.4, 4, if we jump over to that, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. That's Philippians 4.4. 4. Paul said that. What's really neat about these two scriptures is they have a common tone. And that common tone is choose joy. Everybody, poke your neighbor and say, Choose joy. I always want to tell somebody to hit their neighbor. So that was cool. If you're sitting by yourself, you know, whatever. But the common tone in both of these scriptures, it says, choose joy. Peter said, truly be glad, joy is coming. Paul said, rejoice every day, all day, every moment, rejoice in the Lord always. And he said that to the Philippians. And we're going to dig into a story that happened in Philippians here in just a minute. But we discover, according to most scholars, that this common companion is Silas. So you know the story in the second missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul they decide that they want to go separate ways because one of them wanted to be a youth pastor and the other one didn't. That's um, a true story. John Mark, Barnabas wanted John Mark to go, and Paul was like, "I don't want that it's not nosed kid coming with us." And that's funny. Thank you. I'm going up. These people, hey teenagers, y'all awake? <laughs> this is weird. I don't like this. All right. Anyway, but Barnabas wanted John Mark to go. Paul didn't. And it was because John Mark kind of didn't want to continue and he abandoned them in the first journey. So Barnabas is like, hey, he's ready now. He's ready. And Paul's like, I don't want to be a youth pastor. I can understand that feeling. I don't want to be a youth pastor. I love you. You have a youth pastor. I'll play basketball with you. That's my job. Unless it's at night, then I'll break your nose like I did Eric May. True story. I broke the dude's nose. It was terrible. I felt bad. I wanted to hold it, but it was his nose. So in the second missionary journey, Barnabas decided to go somewhere else. Paul chooses Silas. They make a first couple of trips, couple of stops, and then they end up at Philippi. So... 1 Peter 5.12, just so I can prove to you the relationship between Peter and Silas. Now, I want to read something else to you. 1 uh, Peter 5.12 says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas. I, I want to dig into that a little bit more in just a second. Whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is, is truly part of God's grace for you, so stand firm in this grace. Silas was a church leader with high character, okay? And what was really neat about the reason Peter asked Silas to help him write this letter, no doubt Peter spoke Greek, but we know from historical uh, records that Peter was not extremely highly educated like Paul was. However, Silas was extremely educated. And so uh, he, he asked Silas, number one, hey, write this for me. This is what I want to say to uh, everybody. So he, he begins to write. He also wanted Silas to do that so Silas could deliver the letter for him. Uh, when this was written, First Peter, it was written in 62 A.D. or thereabout. That is... Uh, One year after the book of Philippians, dude, I'm not this smart. I did a lot of research, okay? But I find this really cool, so stick with me. At this same point, this is 11 years after the events of uh, the book of Acts were over, or uh, the second missionary journey was over with Paul and Silas. And what has happened is now the Christians are beginning to be um, attacked. They're beginning to be... um, uh, Basically, just humiliated, martyred. They, they are being, beginning to be shunned. This is 30 years after Jesus has uh, resurrected. Notice I didn't say just died on the cross. He died and then resurrected because he made a way for us to get back to the Father. And now this is 30 years later, and they've been stirring up some stuff. And so, Peter and Paul both want to share the same, same essential message. There's some stuff happening. But rejoice, because God is good, and if you remember, His grace is sufficient for this moment. So, that's what's going on between these two. Now, I've done a lot of backup, and now you understand where we're at. Everybody good? All right, let's go home. I'm just kidding. We didn't do anything yet. That was just my intro. No, I just real quick. Is that intro better than the last one? Yeah? Okay, good. Excellent. Y'all weren't even in here. Y'all were in youth. Y'all could have said yes way faster. All right. So here's the thing that I want you to know about Silas. Number one, he was a high-regarded church leader long before he ever met Paul. He met Paul in Acts chapter 15 before he ever went on the second missionary journey. He met Paul because Paul and Peter were having an argument. That argument was, should we or should we not have to be circumcised? What a weird argument. Sure, no. But they were because they were talking about conversion. And so they were all having this argument, and Peter and James decided that it wasn't necessary. And so in order to teach that to all of uh, the Christian churches that were being planted, they sent Silas and another guy named Judas uh, Barsabbas, which sounds really weird. Um, But them two went and they shared the decision of the church that conversion and circumcision did not go hand in hand. I know that's really weird, but I just want you to see this was a huge deal and it was about to cause literally the first church split. So we're having all this. They're adding to the church daily, multiplying the church daily, and they get into this thing about religious... uh, um, law, from, from the Mosaic law, okay, and so they make a decision and they had to send somebody who was known to have great character that was respected that everybody would listen to, so they chose Silas, so Silas and uh, Judas Barsabbas, they go, they meet up with Paul and Barnabas And uh, John Mark was not there anymore because he had already abandoned them. But he was coming back. Uh, And so they go and they deliver this decision to everybody. So this is high. This is important. Okay. That's like sending Pastor Scott Holmes to our church to share some news about something. Okay. Pastor Scott is the bishop over all of the Assemblies of God for Louisiana. Okay. That's sending somebody that has not only high character but also having influence. So that is Silas. All right, we have established Silas. So I believe it was Silas's character and his reputation, even before Paul chose Silas to go on the secondary, second missionary journey, that caused Paul to want Silas with him. Barnabas was leaving. He needed someone that could help carry the mantle, the burden of ministry. And so he went and asked Silas. That's a big deal. For me, that's how I feel when Pastor Chris reached out to me and Pastor Weston about coming here. It was, hey, God's doing something in Eunice. Can you come? I was so incredibly honored. And I felt like that, for me, that was my Paul. That was my Paul coming and saying, hey, I've seen what you've been doing. I want you to come and be a part. And so this morning, we're going to dig for the next 27 minutes. I don't know. I don't think I can preach that long. Uh, for a little bit on the character that you need to live differently in this world. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the next few minutes that you would speak through me and help me convey the message of, of truth that you have that we are called to be different, to have different faith, different values, and different character. In Jesus' name, amen. So we need infectious character We need character to influence. We need character that when we meet someone, as they get to know us, hopefully within the first couple of minutes, they say, I need to be with this person. I need to know who this guy is, and I need to experience the things that he's experiencing. But we also need to have influential character with the people we're already attached to. So I want to tell you a a, a story. Uh, Me and a friend of mine named Justin uh, Langford. um, I can't even tell you if it was 15, 16, 17 years ago. Let's just say I was a teenager and this was not a good idea. But he and I, we decided we were going to go to this concert, Christian concert, from the band Ten Man Jones. I don't know if you all remember that band. They were awesome. Look them up on YouTube if, you, if they had video cameras back then. I don't know. Um, but we went to this concert with Tin Man Jones, and uh, they had a song about Superman, I think. It was pretty cool. Um, it was good. And so after the concert, we were amped, right? Have you ever been to a concert, like a Christian concert? And you're like, and when you get done, you're like, man, I want to go right now and listen to Pastor John sing. That was not a joke. Just kidding. But have you ever like left a concert or or, or left a camp meeting or watched something and you are jazzed. You are ready to go wreck the kingdom of darkness and all you need is one person to go with you. Well, Justin was with me and we were both just ready. And so I looked at him and I, I went, Justin's much taller than me. And very like, not like this. (laughs) You know, when he does this, something rises. (laughs) When I do this, you just, just use your imagination. So I looked at Justin, I was like, hey, you want to go share the gospel in downtown Shreveport on a Friday night? At the clubs and the casino? We were barely old enough to go do that. So Justin goes, yeah. I mean, he was jacked. He was ready. And so we went, all right. And so we start walking down the block. It was one block to the first club. And so I was like, I got this, man. I got this. And so I walked up to the guy and I was like, good evening. Hey, do you do you know God? I didn't know what to say. I was so just excited about Jesus that I hadn't actually thought through what happened next. And so I I stumbled and I fumbled and I made it through. And he was like, yes. (laughs) I was like, good, see you later. (laughs) And so I was like, dude, that was just first try, first try. It was good. And we broke the ice. Okay, now what are we going to say? So now we start planning. We go to the next one, which happened to to be a gentleman's club. And it was even worse. And I I looked. As soon as we walked up, I went, your turn, Justin. Justin. And so Justin walked up to the bouncer, <laughs> and he asked him if he knew where he would go if he died. <laughs> I think the guy said, where would you go if you died? And he was like, I got to go. So we left. But we kept trying, we kept trying. I mean, we, we walked the whole block and back around by the casinos, and we pushed, and we tried, and we clawed. And then we realized that we needed to learn how to evangelize, but it was a really great first step. Fast forward about five years. Me and Justin are talking. We're at at lunch one day. Hadn't seen each other in a while. He was a youth pastor. I was serving as a youth pastor. He did a good job. I was doing a job. And so I was asking him, hey, remember that time we went to that Ten Man Jones? And he just, like, stopped smiling. He was like, yeah. (laughs) And I said, dude, I just want you to know that if you hadn't have been there, like, saying, yeah, let's do it, let's do it the whole time, dude, I I wouldn't have done it. Like, you really encouraged me that night. And then he goes, dude, if you hadn't have been saying, let's go, let's go, I wouldn't have done it. And I was like, so neither one of us really wanted to do it? And and the truth was we wanted to, but we needed someone to encourage us to go, to do it. And so what, what really needs to happen is we need people in our lives that not only we influence, but they influence us back in the positive character and the godly calling to the godly calling that we have in our lives. So I want to put it to you like this. You need to get a Silas, and you need to be a Silas. You need to be someone that you have a, a, a symbiotic relationship with that as you pour out the blessing the, the words the giftings everything that God has put in you as you pour that out they're pouring out the same thing and because you have that relationship neither one of you are takers and you're edifying each other you're lifting each other up so um, this uh hey by the way this is that computer y'all don't need to know um there it is sorry So the first thing I want you to know about being a Silas and getting a Silas is friends help you move forward. I'm going to say it again. Friends help you move forward, not furniture. That's the guy with the pickup truck, Aaron. Um, Joshua, thank you, by the way, for you guys helping me move furniture a few weeks ago. Um, You need to be a Silas. You need... To get a Silas. Now you may say, I don't have anybody in my life like that. Who are you surrounding yourself with right now then? Where are you going? What are you engaging in? If you don't have anybody in your life like that, take a step back. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm just kidding. But you need to change your way. I'm just kidding. You need to look. Totally didn't plan that. It's not written down. But it was pretty good. It's pitchy. Uh, you need to take a step back and you need to look at what you're doing, what your goals are, what are you doing, who are you trying to be and who do you have around you and are they trying to be that too? You know what I'm saying? I know many of people that have called me on the phone, dude, I just gave my life to God. Da, da 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 Cool. Where? Oh, I was at such and such place. Is that a place that you can go to church on a regular basis? No. Where do you live? Cool. I'll call you back in five minutes. Google. I found six churches that you can go to. One of them's my friend. He's a pastor at this church. Here's his number. I'm sorry. I would never give out his number. Give me your number. I'm going to give it to him. He's going to call you. That is what that conversation usually looks like. Quite often I find out that they didn't fall, th- fall through it. And six months back in the same thing that they were doing. And I'm going to tell you it's because the character of the people you surround yourself with are not influencing you the way that God has called you to influence them. And so you're pouring out and nothing's being poured into. You get empty and you pour into you something that did not belong there. And so you don't have a silas in your life. You just have a siphon in your life. I have a pastor friend who uh, was actually my pastor at the last church I was at. His name is Keith Bryan. And uh, he went through a, just a terrible uh, circumstance in his life that that caused him to uh, lose his marriage and, and lots of other things. He was the lead pastor of church by no fault of his own. Had no choice in the matter. And so he he, he lost his, his marriage and... Uh, ended up raising four kids by himself. And so through that he kind of got down. He he lost his way and stopped stopped everything. Started going down a different path and a few several years later someone reached out to him and began to influence him. But only would influence him on his terms. Okay? And I mean the influencer would only influence him on his terms. Come to my house. We're going to have a barbecue. Hey, we're going to do this tomorrow night with my Silas and his Silas, so to speak. And he began to influence. And before long, my friend began to start going to church again. And slowly but surely, God began to tear off all the calluses and all the the hurt and the anger and the brokenness, because it wasn't just his former spouse that caused the hurt. It was also the people who didn't know anything about what he was going through. That went to church and were supposed to love him through it. That's for another time. We don't need to talk about that. But he began to go and God restored him. And he, he ended up getting back in, in ministry and... His former wife even wrote a letter to the uh, National Office for Assemblies of God, and he got his credentials back to the point that he is still ordained in the ministry, which is extremely hard to do. There, there is less than, I want to say, less than 100 people in the entire world that are in the Assemblies of God that are divorced, that are ordained ministers. That tells you how much not at fault he was. All right, that doesn't matter. I'm going off on a rabbit trail. But the point is he began to minister again, and he knew God had a calling on his life to pastor. So he went to a church in a town that will remain unknown in North Louisiana, uh, in Monroe. I'm just kidding. I don't know where it was. Um, But he preached and, and met with the church board afterwards, and the church board said, We can't hire you. Thank you for coming, but we can't hire a divorced person. That's their prerogative, and that's fine. Problem is, they brought him 500 miles to preach, and he was expecting to get ready to walk back into his calling, and they didn't share that with him before he drove all the way there. So he was broken, big time. He gets in his car, and he's driving back, and he picks up his phone. Because that's what phones sound like when you dial. Beep, 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 beep. All right, And so he calls and he gets on the phone with another pastor friend of ours, Den Hussey, and he, he tells Den everything. And he's like, hey, so this is what happened because Den had been praying with him about the, the opportunity. And let me tell you what happened. And Keith is near tears upset. He's frustrated, doesn't know, and he's basically saying, I'm probably never going to get an opportunity. Based on this one encounter, he has written his entire life story. And our friend, Den Hussey, says, Here's what we are gonna do. That is an incredibly powerful statement. He told me when he heard those words, he knew that for sure, for certain, in this moment and forever, he's no longer alone. He's no longer pushing and clawing, trying to dig his way out of the hole and back into the calling of God on his life, he knew in that moment he wasn't alone. Why? Because he had found his Silas. Because he had found the person that was going to see this journey through with him. And obviously he became my pastor. So God saw him through to Complete restoration. And that's an incredible journey. And I want you to know that that Den Hussey never stopped. Like I saw Pastor Den regularly while I was on staff at Bayou Gosh. And that was a cool experience to see what, let's call it this, the we factor could do. When you have somebody that doesn't say you, but they say we. We. We're going to do this. We're going to accomplish this. So let's dig into some more text. Acts 16, uh, verses 16 through 18. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl. This is Luke talking. Luke apparently was with uh, Paul and Silas on the second uh, missionary journey and the first and the third. Uh, And also Timothy was there, just so you know. Uh, Down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. It's important to note she was a slave girl. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High. They have come to tell you how to be saved. In my opinion, that's a pretty good thing to have heralded around while you're walking, you know, going to pray, you're about to share the gospel, except for the fact that it's really hard to share the gospel if people are already closed off and you're about to say something to open the conversation and there's a little girl walking around going, hey, they want to tell you about Jesus. I can tell you after a couple of days of that, I might lose my mind. I might not look like Silas in that moment. I may not look like I need to rejoice in the Lord always. I might be needing to get in the prayer closet, or I might do what Paul did. Uh, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, another translation says, so annoyed that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. And it instantly left her. So, I've had lots of thoughts about this scenario for years like for real why did it take paul getting annoyed to cast the demon out of the little girl in the first place let me tell you why because for for years i always would wonder that i'm like paul man you should have done that like on day one then you could have got your job done no here's what happened if he was going to do that he knew the problem that was going to arise she was a slave in someone else's property and he knew that spirit was allowing her to do something. And if he were going to dive into that situation, it was going to hinder him from being able to share the gospel at all for the rest of the time he was in Philippi. To the point he may be asked to leave Philippi. Well, it got way, way, way worse. But we're not going to get into that yet. I just want to think about what Silas was doing. Because it says Paul got exasperated. Not Silas, the other leader in the group. So I'm just imagining Paul and Silas are walking, and Silas is like, there she goes again. It's cool, man. We're just gonna go over here. We're gonna pray, uh, and it's almost like I can imagine because Silas is kind of. I, I imagine Silas is very jovial, excited. You know, I imagine Silas look back at the little girl. Hey, where are we going next? You know, I mean, because she's just telling everybody anything anyway. So on the on the several days in, Paul gets aggravated, and I can imagine Silas going. Paul, for two days straight. Paul, it's all right, man. We're going to get it. God has called us here. He's going to make a way. We're going to go. Because that's what we do as Silas. That's what we do is having different character. We influence according to God has called us. So I can imagine Silas, Paul, it's good. It's good, man. It's good. On the third day, I can imagine Paul turning around going, Silas, come out. Did you see it? Uh Uh-oh. Like in the moment, it happened. But you can imagine Silas and Paul even at a restaurant and the service is slow. Like me at Hacienda. (laughs) So good. Sometimes, yeah. And and people have had to help me calm down. And I can imagine Silas calming down Paul. Hey, bro, it's just a hair in your salad. Pull it out and eat. It's okay. that's good influence some of you are like nah bro we having a conversation right now silas is like it's good don't worry hey we're still gonna tip doesn't matter we're still gonna tip we're still gonna tip because that's the character god has called us to we're still gonna tip that's silas right i can imagine silas could even be a little bit like this check this out i don't know about you but i'm getting all funned out Uh uh-oh don't tell me we're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Most likely. Bring it on. So, I can imagine that the, the llama is is Silas. Like whatever, bro. Whatever it is, I'm with you. But let's bring some actual biblical scripture into that because um, that was the emperor's new groove, not the Bible but still very effective in explaining how I can imagine a Silas or maybe even an armor-bearer would be. 1 Samuel 14, verses 6 and 7 say, let's go across, and this is Jonathan speaking, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, talking about the Philistines. Jonathan said this to his armor-bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. Not for sure the Lord will help us. Perhaps God will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Then Jonathan's armor bearer replied, Do whatever you think is best. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. I want you to know that when you're attached to your Silas, when you're attached to your Paul, when you're attached to someone and you're called to influence them to move forward, That's the attitude at which we are called to have. The other thing is you need to understand that you just need to be you. Okay? I have, in years past, connected with a minister, and and I'm I'm sure you could, uh, uh, what's it called? Relate, that's the word, with this where I like the way he preached, I like the way he sang, I... Liked every bit of the way he ministered, so I was going to be that way too. The first time I tried to preach like that dude, well, I looked like a spatch squirrel on a Wednesday night. (laughs) Uh, That didn't really happen here. But in years past, I have done that where I tried to be someone that I wasn't called to be. I was called to be me because God had called me to that moment because he wanted me. God has called you To the people he's called you to because he wants you to be you. Because he needs your gifting and your talent to influence those people. It's okay to just be you. Silas knew his role. Silas knew his calling. He knew that he was never going to be the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. What's the New Testament? I don't know, but I know I'm not going to do that because there wasn't a New Testament yet. Okay, good. Sorry, I didn't practice that part. Um, but he was comfortable and he was confident just being himself. He didn't need to be a Paul Jr. He didn't need to look at Paul and say, I can preach better than you. We've done that. I can lead better than you. He didn't need to look at him and say anything. He needed to confirm the calling of God on Paul's life and then live according to the God, God had called him to be. Silas was okay serving the guy who had the vision. Silas was not called to come up with a new vision for the second missionary journey. He was called to go because there was a vision and he needed to influence. We need to get a hold of that today. God has called you to do something, and sometimes it's to pioneer, and sometimes it's to attach yourself to a vision and push forward with the visioneer. Amen? Silas is making the coffee. Silas is parking cars. Silas is pioneering from scratch a puppet ministry and building a puppet stage. Silas is running sound. Silas is working in the media department. He's playing an instrument. He's leading a small group in his home. Silas is helping disaster relief He's changing diapers and taking toddlers to the bathroom. Amen. Hallelujah. Silas is helping with the checkout station. He's serving in the youth cafe. He's serving Pastor Weston's vision in student ministry. He's folding bulletins. He's running trunk games at a carnival. He's greeting at the door. He's helping our guests find an empty seat. He's cleaning the church. Silas has decided to find his purpose and impact eternity. If you serve in any of those ministries, can we just give everybody a hand clap that helps serve and make the vision of this church go? And here's the thing if you say, man, I want to be like that Silas that's doing any of those things, that's not an exhaustive list of the things that we do here at this church to serve the vision of this church, to meet people and grow closer to God together. We're also called to find a spot to do that. We're called to help people find freedom. We're called to help people discover purpose. We're called to help people. I missed one. Know Jesus. There it is. Know Jesus, discover purpose, and impact eternity. Wherever you are in that, here's the deal. If you want to be able to get more connected, you need to get involved in Next Steps. We only have one more opportunity this year to do that. That's just a small little plug because I have it written down to say something about next steps because we need Silas's in our church influencing the vision that has already been placed there. Now he's playing and I haven't even gotten to my second point. Ah, let me see if I can find it. There it is, found it. Another thing that you're called to do as a Silas, get comfortable, bro. I got 12 minutes. I got 12 more preaching minutes. Why is it funny when he says it? (laughs) It's all right. I'll just be me. Yep. You're called to stir up joy. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Be glad. There's probably a trial coming, but there's joy coming too is what Peter said. So we come back to our story. The little girl's owners are furious. They decide, because casting out a demon is not illegal, they need to come up with something else to get recompense for their misfortune. So they go to the the, the leaders of the town, the magistrate, whoever it is, and they begin to say, Paul and Silas, not Timothy and Luke, I don't know where Timothy and Luke went. It's just Paul and Silas at this point have been inciting uh, uh, unnatural customs. They're doing this. They're saying you don't need to, to pay taxes. You don't, need to, you don't need to pay taxes where are they at. You don't have to say nothing else. They just believed the word, went and grabbed Paul and Silas. I'm sorry for this next part, but they stripped them naked in the middle of the square. And beat them. Now if I'm Silas. And I know. The pro- the thing that's going to happen. Because I'm familiar and educated. With custom. I know what's going to happen. Paul just cast out that demon. Out of that little girl. If I'm Silas. I'm like Paul you're on your own bro. I'm going with Timothy and Luke. We're going to start a prayer meeting for you. But Silas's character went, Timothy, Luke, y'all go start a prayer meeting. Paul, I'm with you, bro. There goes my clothes. <laughs> and then he proceeds to get beaten. How do you stir up joy in that moment? Check this out. Acts 16, 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. That's having influence. Because prisoners don't have to listen to other prisoners singing. They can decide to say, hey, it's midnight. Be quiet. I just got beaten. But the other prisoners recognize the character. They wanted to listen and hear the people that they've already heard about, no doubtably, are now in prison with them. And I don't know if it was Paul or Silas that looked at one another. If if I'm Paul, excuse me, if I'm Silas, I'm not looking at Paul who just got me, well, I ain't got no clothes on, and I'm beat, and now I'm in prison. I don't really feel like looking at Paul and going, hey, bro, you want to sing Oceans? Glory to glory, right now, ready, in the key of D. You want to pray, Paul? <laughs> I hate you. That's... In the natural, that's how I feel. But the word says rejoice in the Lord always. What's cool about that statement, rejoice in the Lord always, is Paul was writing to the Philippians, no doubt saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. By the way, you've seen my character. You know that I rejoice in God even when being beaten, even when being thrown in jail. You know that I will rejoice because I have shown you that character. And First Peter When Silas is helping Paul write this letter and Silas is delivering this letter that says, truly be glad, joy is ahead, endure the trial. And Silas gives me that letter. Do you know what I say? Dude, I can do this. This guy, I know what he went through with Paul. 11 years later, I know what he went through with Paul. I'm gonna read what Peter has to say because Silas gave it to me. Stirring up joy, Partly has to do with what you say, but it partly has to do with who you are. The person that stirs up the most joy in my life besides my bride hey baby, is is Joe Guillory. That dude, I don't think I've ever seen him when he did not tell me, I'm glad you're here. On a day where I feel like I'm disqualified to be in the room or even hold the microphone or hold the guitar and sing. And that guy comes up to me and says, I'm glad you're here. That's stirring up joy. So Silas and Paul, they begin to stir up joy. And and I had a cool story. And, And very briefly, Burger King is always out of barbecue sauce. And me and a friend of mine named Brent, we went to Burger King one night, ordered like a bunch of stuff. Got to the window, they were out of barbecue sauce. We told them to keep it. Bad move, I know. We stirred up the wrong kind of stuff between each other. We love Jesus, but we had just finished ministering, and we were driving home, and we wanted chicken nuggets and some barbecue sauce. We needed someone to stir up some joy in the car. Tanya remembers there was not much joy when we went across the street to McDonald's, and they were out of barbecue sauce too. Just so you know, I keep barbecue sauce in my refrigerator at all times because McDonald's forgets to give you barbecue sauce all the time. You get all the way home. No barbecue sauce. I will go back. That's why I ask for extra so I can have it for if the chance. There is no joy in my bag. You need people that are going to stir up something that you don't even have in your heart right now. For me, I needs someone who will come alongside me because I'm a pretty chill guy. Like, I think I am. Tanya will tell you differently. Uh, She's actually the chill one most of the time. Um, But I, I can be laid back, but I need her oftentimes to stir up something inside me that I didn't know was even there. You see, there are some of us in the room today and watching online... That our emotional disposition is often based solely in our current circumstance. There are some of us today that can't remember that God's grace is sufficient for the moment because the moment has gotten too big. When Paul said, rejoice in the Lord, even when the barbecue sauce didn't show up. That's a simple thing. How about rejoice in the Lord when I know I'm about to get laid off? How about rejoice in the Lord when my kid is sick and running 102 degree fever? How do I praise God in that moment? You begin to say, God, I know according to whatever scripture I can dig up, you are going to heal this kid and now I'm going to praise you for it. It is hard to do that. But if you've got somebody standing next to you that says, yeah, we're going to praise him for that. Yeah, we're going to praise him. Let's stir up that joy. That being said, joy is a choice. Joy is not just something that we have one moment and it's gone the next because it just flies in and out. The reason it flies in and out is because we don't always choose it. Joy is your calling. According to Philippians 4.4. According to... 1 Peter 1, 1.6, God is calling you to have joy because it's what's going to get you through the trial. Here's the final thing that I want you to see this morning. First of all, you need to be and get a Silas. You need to stir up joy. The last thing is you need to understand that in life, when you have a miracle happen to you, When you have a suddenly happen to you, like what happened here in Acts chapter 16, verses 26 through 30, it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake. This is right after they were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was an earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation. And all the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. I'm going to paraphrase the rest. The jailer woke up, ran in there, knew that all of the prisoners were gone, and he decided to kill himself. But there was a suddenly that happened. That was Paul and Silas got a miracle. Now, if I'm praying for that miracle, once I get it, what am I going to do? I'm going to receive it and go, thank you, Lord. But Paul and Silas knew something else that their miracle wasn't just for them to get out of prison, but God was going to use that miracle to preach the gospel by their character. So he waited with all of the prisoners, not just with Silas. Every prisoner was still there because he had influence over all of them. And he looked at the jailer and he said, don't kill yourself. We are all still here. Paul made his suddenly available for that jailer. And I'm going to tell you how. By that one statement, he did a few things. First, he took himself off of a pedestal because Paul was an, a highly educated man. He was a Pharisee turned Christian, extremely intelligent, educated, like the smartest person in the room at all times. And he said, we, which meant that he was saying, I'm not the educated one here. I'm not the special one. I'm just like everybody else. This is the miracle that just happened to us. We're still here. And the jailer said, I'm just like him. I'm not educated. I'm a part of this group. That suddenly can be mine, too. And that jailer responded in verse 30. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The thing that you have to realize is that jailer may not have said, what do I need to do to be saved? If Paul hadn't said, we're all here. Because the way he stated it meant you can have this. Because we have it. Now, I got to be honest with you. When I hear about a millionaire giving away a million dollars. That doesn't make me want to give away 20 bucks. It doesn't. Because it's not the same. Because I'm not a millionaire. I'm not on the same social class as them. But when I see, let's say a sports figure, come down from wherever they're at, and they serve in disaster relief. Let's take it a step further. When I see my pastor stay over after a conference where we've been there for three days. We got to come home and prepare messages and everything else. And he decides to stay over for two more days and serve in Houston rather than coming home to see his family that he has not seen in six days now. That makes me want to go serve too, because it makes me know that I can do that too, because he stepped down to me. Your suddenly is not just for you. The book of Revelation says they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. When you have something happen to you, don't keep it to yourself. I had a suddenly happen to me and Tanya two years ago. A year and a half ago. Two years ago this past week we lost a pregnancy. We lost a child. It was late later term. We knew the gender of the child. It was devastating. It broke us to the point That Tanya cried herself to sleep every night for five months, and I held her for five months. How was that a suddenly, Pastor John? I hadn't got there yet. One Sunday morning, a preacher says, a guest preacher, just in the middle of his sermon, he stops and he says, there's a woman in here longing to be a mother and hold her child. By this time next year, you're going to be holding your baby. Tanya stopped, looked up, and went, that's mine. We found out three weeks later we were pregnant and we were five weeks along, which meant she was pregnant at that moment. Or we were three weeks long, four weeks long, something like that. We were pregnant at that exact moment. Our suddenly is being held by Nidra Darby right now. I'm sharing my suddenly with you because when we first moved here, we shared that suddenly with a family, that we're still believing that they're going to have that same thing happen to them. And I pray for it every single day. And I'm holding on to the fact that they're going to get there suddenly. Today, if you've recently had a suddenly happen, I want you to share it. If you're holding on, waiting for a suddenly, grab a hold of mine. I'll share it with you grab a hold of somebody else's. And I want you to know it is a lie of the enemy when, they, when you begin to get jealous over somebody else's suddenly. You need to grab a hold of that and say, God, if you did it for them, you'll do it for me. Because the word says he's no respecter of persons. Why don't you stand with me? I have one more thing to say. First Peter 1 Peter 6, 1, 1.6, it says, endure the trial. Which I said earlier means patiently withstand and not lose strength. This morning or this afternoon, hopefully the saints are already winning. There's three things I need to challenge you with. If you haven't done it yet, become a Silas to somebody. And I don't mean go start telling somebody what to do. That's a Jezebel. I mean go link up with somebody, love them, And encourage them. And believe God for the things that God has spoken to them. And be a part of their we. Go be a Silas. If you say, Pastor John, I don't have anybody like that in my life. All I want to tell you is I want you to look at what you're surrounding yourself with. You may need to move. And I don't mean your house. Maybe. You may need to move where you're at and connect with people who believe in the calling of God on your life. Well, I call them all the time. Keep calling. Well, when I call, they don't answer. They don't call me back. You're calling the wrong person. God is going to put that Silas in your life. Number one, you need a Silas. You need to be a Silas. Number two, you have got to stir up joy and choose to allow God to bring joy into your life, even when you think it's not there. Because God says, if he says, be glad because joy is coming, that means that joy is not an emotion. It's a gift from God that he is already throwing your way. Choose joy. Stir up joy. Stir up means you got to create it. I ain't never seen a cake that came straight out of one thing. There are several ingredients to a cake, right? Right? If you're going to stir up joy, you might need to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and grab it. And that means you might need to take this Silas and this Silas and this Silas and go, hey, y'all, this is what's going on in my life. I'm praying for a suddenly. Y'all pray with me. And I promise you that's going to stir up joy. The last thing I need you to do is I need you to be ready for your suddenly and to share it with other people. Share it with the Walmart checkout people. There are four Walmart employees right now that I'm praying for on a daily basis. I don't know why I want to win Walmart, but I'm going to. I know their names. Some of them know my children, and they give me a hug when I walk in Walmart. It's a little weird, but I like it. And I share with them every testimony that God does in my life. I call Josh in the middle of the week, which is not necessarily a suddenly, but I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to put a keyboard in the drums. (laughs) Cool, huh? I reach out to people and I share just the smallest win because I know if I begin to share those little wins, when the big thing happens, that big victory, that big suddenly, those people that I know were happy about this little thing are going to celebrate and throw a party. If you read later on in Acts chapter 16, it says that the jailer went home with Paul and Silas and they threw a party until morning because they were celebrating there suddenly. Because it no longer was just Paul and Silas got out of jail. It was now Paul and Silas got out of jail. The jailer got saved and his whole house. And now the town of Philippi has a testimony 10 years later when they need a reason to stir up joy. You need to stir up joy and share your suddenly. Now real quick, I just want you to bow your heads and, and if, I, if I ask you to raise your hand for something, when you raise it, just leave it up for, for me for just a few minutes. If you say, Pastor John, look, I'm struggling and I just need a Silas. I don't have anybody in my life that is a Silas. Would you just lift one hand, just leave it up for me? I need a Silas in my life. Leave it up. Leave it up for me. Don't put it down. If you say, Pastor John, I need to learn and have people help me stir up joy because I can't find a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I want you to lift your hand and leave it up. Keep. If you raise your hand for Silas, leave it up. If you raised your hand for joy, I want you to leave it up for me. Now, finally, if you say, Pastor John, I need a suddenly. I need a suddenly. I just want you to raise your hand and leave it up for me, too. I need a suddenly. If you're breathing, you know somebody that needs a suddenly. Don't be shy, because this is a moment where God can bring you freedom. I need a suddenly. If it's just I need to give my life to Jesus, that's going to be your suddenly today. Now, finally, leave them up. One more second. Leave them up. If you say, Pastor John, I'm going to be a Silas for somebody. I choose today. I'm willing to be a Silas. Or I'm already a Silas for somebody. I want you to raise your hand. All across this room. You say, I'm willing to share my suddenly with somebody. I want you to raise your hand. Now, with every hand raised up in this building, I want you to lift your head and look around. These people say they'll share your... You're suddenly. They'll pray for you suddenly. Keep your hands up for just a minute more. I want people to really look around. These people say, I'll stir up joy for you. Now, if you're standing next to somebody that you don't know and you need that joy, just start a relationship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you right now that you are stirring up joy in the hearts of your people, that you are going to bring us suddenly and you are going to show up and show out in an incredible way. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that you remind people of who you've called them to be and not who they've convinced themselves they have to be. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord one hand clap of praise this morning? Amen. Look, it is 1036 and I'm six minutes late, which means I'll let y'all stand for seven minutes. Let me pray and bless you. Lord, I thank you so much for every person here. Lord, I pray that you would bless them wherever they go and they would have the character to have incredible blessings and relationships to open up doors and windows where they couldn't open them up by themselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.